90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Who are you? Yeah, who are you? Sorry. (laughs) You know, I hope that some of our fans have stuck with us through our midlife crisis that we had this summer. (laughs) You know, we desperately tried. We said in the last show, like, hey, we got a lot of travel, but we're desperately trying to do at least summer shorts over the summer. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that didn't happen. Nope. This is the first time we actually took, uh, I hesitate to call it summer break. I guess we'll just say summer hiatus. Yeah, hiatus. That's because it wasn't a break. No? Gosh, it's been. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly was not a break. And this was not the usual thing that sometimes happens to us where we have busy weeks and we miss or whatever. This was a literal, I am not in the country on the mainland, in the, you know, we were just never actually anywhere stable to record at the same time, like you said, since the last show. So it's been a while. Well, and the travel plans between both has been so crazy. Like you would text me one week and you, you would say like, hey, I can record Wednesday night or Thursday. And I would say, I'm in the air and I'm going to be gone for the next eight days (laughs) and I'll let you know when I'm back. And I would get back and text you and say, Hey, I'm back. And you would say, I'm leaving tomorrow for seven days (laughs) and I won't be on the mainland or, (laughs) and it's only serendipitous actually that we're even talking tonight because the place I'm supposed to be, I got bumped for a day. So now we're recording. (laughs) Exactly. Oh boy. Well, hopefully some of you have stuck with us, and thank you for those that have. And we're going to try to make an over-the-airwaves pinky promise to not let this happen again until the next eight years where we have a crazy summer like this. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's, you know, I mean, it's time to get back to a more routine schedule. Like, you're going to be teaching soon. I'm not, actually. Remember, I'm on sabbatical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you're going to not really even be back in school, I guess. Yes. But. <laughs> I know. It's really weird because I'm not really going anywhere for sabbatical. And so it's not, I mean, I'll go. Do they call it a stabatical? That's gross. I don't ever want to hear that again. <laughs> 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 but probably, yeah. Um, but I don't have to do things. Like, I don't have to go to faculty meetings. I don't have to go to, like, the big yearly faculty retreat. It's very exciting. That that would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm super excited about it. But as you say all the time, you know, whenever academics are off, your workload goes up. So I'm sure we'll have some discussions about that too. <laughs> well, and yes, I'm I'm ready for classes to start because we have just. I mean, it's not a bad problem to have, nope. and I'm very thankful to have it. <laughs> but this summer has been just incredible from a volume of work that has come in and that has come out standpoint. Um, If we had not moved in the beginning of this year, we would have been actively turning away many jobs. Oh yeah. See, well you biggered your place. So now you got to bigger all the stuff that goes with it, which I hope I have a, a desk somewhere because yeah, 
I do want to go some places on my sabbatical. I might as well go work in your office. <laughs> I mean, we do have uh, a desk, and we have a plan to put a wall in and have a more separated office area from the shop. So nice. Uh, there's there's a break room in there, and I'll come help paint. <laughs> oh, so much painting. <laughs> So much painting. Uh, and yeah, so we've been, it's kind of in the classic during break, we're very busy, uh, coupled with just an insane amount of travel to install things. We increased our throughput, which means I had to be on the road a lot more putting equipment in, mm-hmm. uh, put a lot of, lot of hours sitting in the airplane. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's good though, right? That's why you got it. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, it was, but it was tons of fun, but I am glad to be back. I think I'm back for roughly two months before the next uh-huh. kind of hit of travel right before the holidays. Okay. I'm back for a day and, <laughs> but then I'm back until October as well. So we'll definitely get caught up both personally and professionally, I believe in those next two months. <laughs> oh yeah. So <laughs> As we did mention, though, it's time for people to go back to class soon. Boo. Right? (laughs) And we've talked about before, like, okay, these are some field gear things. But I thought it might be kind of interesting to preface some back-to-college basics topics with some, okay, I'm a new geology student, or... I'm a geology enthusiast that wants to do more geology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, what, what's my back to school list look like? You know, is it number two pencils and college rule notebooks <laughs> or, you know, what's, what's involved in getting into geology as a student or as a serious hobbyist? I mean, it's a Pentel 0.5 or, um, mechanical pencil, obviously. And well, obviously. Yeah, that. yeah. A ride in the rain. I don't know. A moleskin, something like that. Um, and, and, you know, th- these can be items or philosophies or courses or, you know, it doesn't have to be just, okay, you need to go buy a write in the rain notebook and a pen <laughs> and a Brunton or whatever. So now that's interesting because I feel like in as long as we've been doing this, despite our hiatus, things have definitely changed in respect to how I would answer this question. And I mean drastically oh yeah and i think even our last these are things you should take into the field with you show is probably obsolete yeah Mm -hmm. it it actually i think it is yeah (laughs) and i mean a lot of that has to do with something i'm sure we'll talk about all this chat gpt stuff but a lot of that does have to do with technology because i mean you're not that far behind me in terms of when you started school, but like when we started school, there was still a university bookstore and that actually doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah. When people say, you know, oh yeah, my professor gave me access to this book as part of the course, or I, you know, get it all online or whatever. That blows my mind because I remember those, you know, oh, it's time to get books for this semester. There goes 800 bucks. Yeah, exactly. And you had to like go physically get them. So, 
Yeah, it was what my senior year, probably towards the end of grad school for you when they started doing like you could give them your schedule and they would have them ready and mm-hmm. you could just go pick them up mm-hmm. instead of you having to go like physically pick them out. Right, exactly, which I always did anyway because I'm a nerd like that and like to look at what everyone was <laughs> was taking. But yeah, that none of that exists and it is mind-blowing to me. And so putting together a whole back-to-school kit is something that, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very digital, and it's taking a monumental, well, for me, monumental, I think maybe for other people, too, shift in, like, how do you get on top of that? Because before you would do stuff, like I know both of us would do, like, you know, do the readings early or something like that read something adjacent to the topic that you're going to be taking. But now I feel like my advice has moved from something like that to like understanding and learning the large scale purpose behind softwares that you might use. And I don't mean specific ones because I am very against like using college as a training class for a specific software, but right. using, you know, like, well, the one that I have up right now that I wanted to talk about on the show was QGIS. Right. So that's like open source GIS stuff and understanding that will get you so far ahead. Even if you're not taking a GIS class, because you can use QGIS to do all kinds of different projects starting from day one in intro geology and if you can master that, that's going to make getting a job that much easier. Oh, yeah. I mean, we've talked about our struggles of learning Illustrator and you know, your triangle. And <laughs> oh, the eight-hour triangle. <laughs> the eight-hour triangle. Uh, you know how that really propelled us forward. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. I mean, I just had a student finish a very... Um, graphically intensive thesis and he was the perfect person for this because when we had COVID field camp he was one of the students and actually even before then when we were still in class for field methods he would ask hey can I do this stuff digitally I said I don't care I'm not going to teach you how to do anything digitally if you want to do it do it he's like well I think that's a good skill and I said yeah you're right And so he went, and instead of doing Illustrator, because students don't get Adobe for free anymore at OU, he used Inkscape, which is the free version of, well, it's not a version of Illustrator, but it works very similar to Illustrator. And he dealt with that thing crashing and all this jazz and made this fantastically intense stratigraphic column of over 100 meters of core using this software and now he can go and there were numerous times students would be like, I don't know how to do this. He's like, Oh, this is super easy. I can do this in seconds in this software just because he understood and he could even take it into illustrator because he understood like the basics of the stuff and his skill set with drafting figures is orders of magnitude above a lot of students at his same level because of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think... And GIS is taking over... Yeah. I mean, not just geology, but no matter what field you go in, 
the company or university that you work for or your research area probably is somehow using geographical data, be it to track assets or find customers or look at demographics or look at rock sections. Yes, exactly. And if you can walk in and have that skill, not even through a class, but just be like, I taught myself huge IS. It's the thing I messed around with on the weekends. And so it's like, I just did a Google Scholar search of geology and QGIS. And so immediately what comes up? Tools for structural geology analysis and QGIS. Python libraries, Matplotlib, Seaborn, and Pandas for visualization geospatial data sets, QGIS. Evaluation of uranium-thorium enrichments and QGIS. So, yeah. And this other one I'm saving, introductory, introduction and new tutorial to geologic maps with QGIS. <laughs> so, like, there's a ton of things that are being used with QGIS that are directly geology related. And I could do this for geophysics as well, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I remember GIS was just really becoming a thing when yeah. I was going through field camp. Mm -hmm. And I did make a map in QGIS, though it was very primitive back then. And I was like, wow, this, this is cool. Like, I don't know exactly where it's going, but this is, this is pretty cool. And haven't really done much with it since, but I have seen some of the things that I have developed tools for now get taken over by GIS. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, and so, yeah, I mean, I guess that one, that's, I guess something to learn, but two, like, yes. Okay. You probably need an iPad and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that but you need a laptop computer. Yeah, yeah, you have to have one, 100%. Mm -hmm. Not a Chromebook. No. Not a tablet with a keyboard. A laptop computer that runs an operating system that you can install things on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, tablet and keyboard. I have been totally, like, totally converted by some of my students who are using them to take notes, and they do a fantastic job with them and that's great but yeah that's not what i'm talking about and i'm i'm talking about just getting into the habit slash rhythm slash mental space where you're playing around with software not on a deadline not on an assignment just to do it for fun so then when the deadline comes or the assignment comes you're already like way ahead of the game and not only is there so much free and open source software and free tutorials out there, there is so much free data. Yeah. Like, pick a problem that interests you. Okay, you want to look at uranium enrichment, or you want to look at this area around where you grew up. Like, go find some free geologic, geographic data. Mm -hmm. And just, yeah, futz with it. I mean, and this is, you know, geology enthusiasts, too. Like, this is probably even more important for that because they can look at problems from a different viewpoint than people who have been staring at them forever and can't make any headway, right? Um, because that's what Google Earth did, right? How many more meteorite impacts were found just from people who like to look at Google Earth, right? <laughs> that And said, hmm, that hole looks circular. Somebody should look at this in more detail. And so I feel like this QGIS is really like 
primed for that. And also, remember, everyone here in the United States, every geological survey in every state has been given a lot of money to start making a bunch of stuff digital. And so that's a great way to start looking for that free data to play with is just going to your state's or your state of interest geological survey website where they should have a ton of stuff that you can plug in to any QGIS project you want to make. And they would probably be thrilled if somebody asked them for help in accessing this data. So thrilled. You should ask them questions anyway, just so they know you're using it. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So don't be afraid of software, play with software, play with data, get a real laptop so you can do this though. Don't carry it everywhere. Uh, I mean, I remember my freshman year at OU, I was one of the early tech adopter people. Of course. Of course. And yeah, I was like, I'm going to take all my notes on my laptop. So I had, you know, this 18 pound brick of a 17 inch laptop (laughs) that sounded like a jet engine (laughs) that I carried into every class. (laughs) And the kid in front of you is like, it's so hot in here. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand. And I want to, and this is where tablets are actually pretty amazing because I, as I've talked about and will continue to talk about on here, have moved one of my classes to like chalk talks. Like I'm writing on the board and drawing pictures on the board and students will sit there and like snap a picture of it and that's it. And I'm like, that is not the same thing. The point of drawing this is to take the time and the mechanical drawing of it is what's putting it in your brain. And so you can do that on a tablet and that's where I am pro that. And there's actually a lot of field mapping software stuff that works on tablets now too. So that's fine, and that definitely has its place. Or one of those two-in-one weird laptops, if that's your thing. Yeah, I mean, I think a tablet is very important as well. Um, one of our guys has a two-in-one laptop that I think he likes pretty well, though I don't see him use the the notes feature a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the keyboard just gets in the way. I don't, I don't love using one, but that's me. I mean, I take notes on my iPad yeah, constantly. Oh, yeah. And in fact, I have my older iPad <laughs> that I set up and like I, I do a lot of, uh, for continuing education for different certifications, I have to do a lot of like video online courses mm-hmm. that involve a test. Mm-hmm. And so I'll have one iPad <laughs> showing the course <laughs> and be taking notes on the uh, other. I love it. Um, That's why I want to buy a Samsung laptop, which is maybe a different show, but maybe also a call out to users. The last time I did this when I was laptop shopping, I got a lot of really good feedback on Slack, actually, Um, because I am an Android person and I have a Samsung tablet. And so I go back and forth with my tablet and my notes on my phone because I have a big phone, like a Note 10 Plus. Just like you just said, but I also want to be able to use that like directly with a laptop. So I'm thinking about buying a Samsung laptop to do that as well. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yes, I want to talk about this more, but yes, not, but we'll, not we're going to put a pin in it, and <laughs> uh, yeah, because I think well, that might come sooner rather than later in terms of me buying it, but. If anyone has used one or known anyone that has one, I would love to hear about that. Okay. Yeah. 
carry on. Okay, so you need a laptop, you need software, you need probably a tablet. Yeah. Though not necessary. Paper notebook works fine. For now, but I really do think that that's probably one of those things that is going to... Yeah. Everyone's going to need one. I, <laughs> I do find so, like, we just... Uh, wrote a very large spec document for some modifications to a custom piece of software <laughs> that we run in-house to, to track inventory and all this other stuff. And I initially had sat on my back porch with a beer and drawn a lot of the screens, like, okay, I want this screen to look like this. I want this one to look like this on paper. Mm-hmm. And that almost immediately ended up with me redrawing them uh-huh. on my tablet because, okay, now I want to move this around or, oh, I want to change this here. And that involved redoing the entire drawing on paper versus on the tablet. I could just put a lasso around the thing I want to move and drag it. And it was a lot easier. I didn't have to have my four-way different color clicky pin. And I had way more than four colors that I could choose from. I could highlight things. I could put, like, images in it. It very quickly reminded me of why paper is great for, like, little scratch to-do lists or a quick calculation. But anything that I actually care about should be on a tablet. Yeah. Um, my class, I took paleobotany, as everyone will remember. And I exclusively took notes on my tablet um, except for one day when I forgot it. So, but what did I do with those notes? I took a picture of them and put them into my notes app, right? And he would have handouts every once in a while, not a ton. Um, and I love being able to take a picture of that handout in real time and then notate on the handout within my notes. Because right. I hate, as I'm sure you did too, when you didn't have that capability, and you wanted to take notes on the handout, and you'd run out of room. And that was never a problem on my, using my tablet. So. You know, yeah. Uh, that and the thing that I was thinking about the most was like math classes. Mm-hmm. Where you would get a long ways into a problem, and the professor would go, oh, no, no, no. Ah. And like erase half the board. <laughs> or... Be like, oh, this should have been a plus and like change 80 different places. Yeah, exactly. And then erase it in like three seconds and you couldn't catch up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, it would have been way better yeah. on a tablet. Yeah, that is exactly right. Um, this line of discussion leads wonderfully into my next intro geo slash geo enthusiast must have. Um, okay. And this actually is a paper book. And it's called Geological Field Sketches and Illustrations, a Practical Guide by Matthew mm, Genge, Genji. I do not know. Um, but it's by Oxford. I have never heard of this book. Okay. <laughs> so one of my students, their uncle got it for them or something. And he was like, do you want to borrow this? <laughs> And I wanted to say, you need to borrow it, but, you know, that's fine. I did borrow it, actually. And then I wound up buying one for myself, like 20 for field camp, for my TAs, everything, because this book is amazing. 
there's interesting. There's so much, you know, when you say, and I know your field professor did this to you too, you know, sit here and draw a picture of this. And you're like, why do I have to do this? I literally have a picture of it. That's not the point, right? The point is to commit these certain details to memory. Um, one of my friends, he had to do this in his class and I love this so much. Um, they had a picture of the moon, like a full moon taken with a good telescope. And they had that picture and then they turned the picture over and were asked to like recall all the details, like write all the details about it, about features that they remembered after looking at this picture for like 15 seconds or whatever. Then they had to draw the picture. So draw a picture of it from that picture and then redid the same experiment, right? And so obviously okay. after drawing it, you recall so many more details than just oh, yeah. staring at it, which seems obvious. But when you're arguing with an entire class that says, why do I have to draw this? <laughs> you can run that experiment, and that's why. And this book has so many, well, number one, it has so many cool pictures, um, really old science drawings, right, of these things that look like pictures. They're so good from, like, the 1700s and stuff. But it also goes into just that philosophy of, like, what does drawing, especially in geology, do for you? Like, why would you do that? And how do you go about it, even when you're not, like, an excellent artist? And I'm not an excellent artist. I draw constantly. <laughs> just constantly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not good it's at like it. It's like how I think through problems. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. Exactly. And so it's like, my stuff doesn't look great, but it's imparting those things I need. Um, and so this book is masterfully written and it peppers in these little nuggets of philosophy i think you would actually extremely enjoy it because it's very philosophizing but not in a weird way it's in a very mechanical way of like literally this is how you hold your pencil this is how you do shading oh here's some cool philosophy and look at this 1700s picture of this awesome shaded outcrop okay now back to the mechanics of doing this. And then it gets into all the cool things that you would want to draw, you know, faults, folds, different rock types, um, different structures, even if this is your cup of tea, even fossils. I skipped that chapter. Uh, <laughs> but like crystal faces. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> crystal faces, the my favorite chapter, geologic cross-sections. It is an amazing text. And I won't require it because it is 50 bucks, um, and I'm sensitive to that. But I definitely wrote it on every one of my, like, are you interested? Here's some extra readings you can do. I love this book so much. Well, maybe this goes in the same vein of go do those. Yeah. If you're taking a class. Um, yeah. I, when I took Dynamics 2... There was a long list, probably 12 books, of these are handy books, I think, that are related to what we're doing. And so, you know, there's, okay, a couple on vectors, and there's one on partial differential equations and all. And I checked every one of them out from the library and looked through them. And from those 12, thought, you know, these... 
these, I already have a book similar to that, or I'm very comfortable. Like I, I'd already read Divgrad and curl a dozen times. Like I'm pretty comfortable <laughs> with vector stuff. So I'm not going to get Hayes vector book. Um, but then I probably ended up buying four or five off that list mm, mm-hmm. and went through them. And that's partially why I think I understood that class better mm. and got more utility out of it. Wow. So you actually listened to the professor beforehand and did something that was on the syllabus? Is that what you're telling me? I, I know it's a foreign concept. Uh, uh. <laughs> but yes, do the, do the thing on the syllabus. Or if you're a hobbyist, go, you know, give yourself, don't, don't buy the geology book and it sits on the end table. Give yourself an assignment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm going to go through this and I'm going to do a chapter a week and I'm going to take notes while I'm reading it or whatever. But, you know, give yourself an assignment if you want to really learn something deeply. That's the way to do it. Oh, exactly. Um, and then if you're like, well, no one's here to grade my assignment. How do I know if I'm learning? Um, one thing that you can do is go to university or order one, whatever you want. You can do this online using a a um, tablet too is that a lot of geologic maps have cross sections already on them. So you can just look at the map and the cross section line. And if you want to practice making cross sections, you know, if you're really rusty at it, if you took structure 10 years ago or whatever, or if you just like to do that sort of thing (laughs) or longer, uh, (laughs) you just use their cross section line, draw your own cross section and then check it against the published cross section that they already have on there. Like I do that for fun sometimes. <laughs> well, or, you know, pick something um, like when I took thermodynamics, we talked about the skew T diagram and I was having a rough time with it. And I was like, I am going to draw a skew T <laughs> from scratch. Mm-hmm. Not like I'm going to get a blank skew T paper and plot a sounding on it. I'm going to draw the skew T paper from scratch. Right. Yeah. I like it. Um, or like, uh, what are they? The, the fry plots where you do like ellipsoidal deformation oh, mm-hmm. of rock features. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like do that. Get graph paper out or if you don't understand stereo nets. Great. Oh. Print one out for free off the internet. Get your lower hemisphere projection, get your tracing paper, get your push pin and get to work. Exactly. And then you can get on um, that stereo net. Um, man, what is the name of that? There is an online. Oh, yeah, the go. online calculator. Yeah, yeah. Stereo net <laughs> 11, Rick Allmendinger's um, stereo net program. And you can check your answers with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. So there we go. Yeah. So that's going to lead, I guess, into one that I've got which is whether you're a geology student or an enthusiast, you need rocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing... If you're an intro student, buy one of those little kits off Amazon. Oh, yeah. They don't cost much. Mm-hmm. And you can start looking at handling, experiencing, scratching, doing on street plates, putting acid on real rocks from day one mm-hmm. that's actually a really good uh, a really good thing to do is to buy those kits and you might think well why am i buying these well probably because if you've picked up a rock it's special to you 
in some way and you don't want to hurt it. <laughs> so that's why you should go buy these. Well, things. and you may not know what it is. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so that's a great idea. Um, man, so we buy all our stuff through Ward's Science. They have so many kits. I don't know if you can buy from them as a consumer. I don't know if you have to be an educational. Um, I'm not sure. I, I imagine you could get set up, but a lot of times getting set up is difficult. Yeah, yeah, it's probably uh, not, even, not even worth it. But, um, yeah, those are really... That's a really interesting and good good point. Well, and when you go on field trips and you're writing down frantically, and your professor says, oh, this is the Morrison Formation, and I don't know. not only write all that down, but whack a piece of it off with your rock hammer, mm-hmm. write on it with a Sharpie mm-hmm. what it is, and take it home. Yeah. Yep. I'm sitting here right now in my living room staring at a glass case with four shelves of rocks in it <laughs> from various field trips while I was at OU. Oh, man, exactly. Um, ours all have, we got whiteout, like old school whiteout, and we'd make a little box on the rock, and then we'd write our specimen numbers in that whiteout so it was very clear. <laughs> so you can do that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and yeah, don't don't be, you know, sacred around these like they're, they're chunks of rock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Use them as a learning tool. Yes, that is, that is exactly right. But also, you know, it's a great way to remind yourself, like, how often do I go in the field and look at rocks now? Approximately never. Yeah. Um, but it's really nice when I'm, you know, walking to the bookshelf to look and be like, oh, yeah. There are different morphologies of aragonite. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's this weird, oh yeah, there's that weird suit. Oh yeah, I remember when we picked that up. And just kind of keep that stuff in your mind. And then when you see stuff in real life, you're a lot more likely to be able to recognize and uh, correctly identify it. Yeah, I that even, that pairs nicely with those field sketches too. Because it's like, you don't have to go to Scotland and look at Hutton's actual unconformity. You can sketch a picture of it too. Right, and so that helps cement those concepts even if you haven't actually been there in your mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And along with this, you know, I will shamelessly plug, uh, go to our company website, lemongeophysical.com <laughs> and, uh, pick up yourself a nice hand lens. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so handy for so many different things. And also like it is the best kid thing on earth. Kids love having hand lenses especially with lanyards right like it's so cheap and they use it constantly so yeah and it will really let you like not only do you use it on rocks but you'll find yourself using it around your house too everything everything every time i get a splinter the kids know immediately to go to get the hand lens (laughs) right or they'll just bring me the hand lens and say i have a splinter you know, like there's a lot of cool pieces of field gear like oh you can get the you know the rock hammer and the holster and the pouch and the the notebook and they're all nice to have for sure uh especially if you're going to be in field camp for 6 weeks yes but especially as a hobbyist or as a new geo uh, excuse me a new geology student you don't really need that 
No. As a new geology student, you need to be looking at everything you can get your hands on. Mm -hmm. And to look at it well, you need a hand lens. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I will say, I I don't want to say this, but I will because it's still a semester away. Um, I give extra credit, but I don't tell anyone because I've told them throughout the whole class, always bring your hand lens, always bring your hand lens. And so when it comes time for that oral exam, I ask them to identify a rock and they get two points of automatic extra credit if they whip out their hand lens. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, and I won't say a thing about it until they're done and everything. And I was like, thanks for bringing your hand lens. That was extra credit. And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, well, well, most of them actually say, but you tell us to have it all the time. And I say, yes, great. Here's your reward for listening. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I have multiple ones, as I imagine you do, too, sprinkled throughout my house. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, yeah, they're just, they're handy to have. I use them for things around the house, around the shop. Yeah. Um, yep. I'm not going to say I have one in my pocket all the time. No, but I have I one probably close should, by. but. I have one close by. Yeah. My, my everyday carry kit needs some work, which is another whole topic, probably for a whole different podcast. Probably. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great show because as I thought about this, I thought, man, lots of stuff has changed. Um, so I guess my, well, I mean, oh no, not to go too far off track, but you know, we were talking about carrying iPads and all that. I remember on my field, uh, equipment list, like one of the nice to haves was bring a digital camera and I had a little point and shoot digital <laughs> camera and you would like hold a number on your field notebook or something in the corner of the picture and then write in your book like okay picture number Absolutely. 3 <laughs> is this and you would go put the compact flash card into the compact flash reader and download the pictures after you got home oh man um yeah that's not a joke i did that 2 years ago when we went in the field <laughs> or you know even before that like doing i mean i shot film until 20 10. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's all coming back, too. Everybody's got weird film stuff now, so totally coming back. But now being able to take the picture and immediately draw on it and annotate it is just mind-blowing. It is. So, yeah, my last two students, like, we extensively relied on um, annotated. Because we used to draw. We used to draw our sites. Like, when we would drill, we would draw the sites in our books. And, you know, not everyone's drawing is exactly the same or recollection is the same, but it was certainly a lot easier to bring up a picture of that site with our annotated sample numbers and then know exactly what we were doing there. And sometimes you're trying to get in and get out quick. Yes. Yep. That's very true. Very true. So that is indispensable. Um, I guess that are my last one thinking about not, making up for lost time and letting this go for three hours long um, right? <laughs> is more for graduate students, but also just anyone trying to do research is to learn now, not when you're writing your thesis or heaven forbid halfway through it when someone shows you this and for the 20th time and you're like, oh, it's a good idea. Get a um, reference software or reference like slash bibliography writing software and keep track immediately of the massive amounts of research papers you're going to read. So something like 
I loved EndNote, but it's just not being used anymore. Mostly everyone uses Zotero now. So that's the one I'm trying to learn and migrate all my EndNote stuff from. And it is indispensable when it comes to discussing papers with colleagues because it's super easy to bring stuff up. Um, it's super easy to send stuff to people. And most importantly, when you sit down to write your articles, to write your theses, to write even your research papers in class, it builds a bibliography for you. And you might think, well, that's not that big a deal. It is a huge deal. It is a massive time saver. And you absolutely need to master that type of software early and make use of it. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, I would encourage people to use BibTech and LaTeX, but yes, mm -hmm. that's also showing my age and Linux bias. <laughs> but that's fine. It's like, use the one you want to use. So it's like, I feel pressured to move to Zotero, and I don't know why I feel pressure. I feel like maybe that my university is going to quit supporting EndNote because it costs, and so that's kind of why. Um, so I'm moving to Zotero, but it's real good. And it's like, it's really great to have. So learning those skills often, and I mean, and that goes for enthusiasts too, right? We get, heck, our, most of our Fun Paper Fridays don't come from like active researchers or anything, right? So learning how to navigate the world of scientific literature is, fairly useful if you're an enthusiast as well. Yeah, and I'll piggyback on it for my last one of, I mean, you should go read things, not only books, <gasps> but papers. Yeah. But go email the people. Mm -hmm. Because you're going to get a lot more information, and they're going to be thrilled that somebody's interested, most likely. Heck yeah, they are. Uh so don't just, you know, if you read the paper and don't have any questions, I'm not going to say, you know, okay, make up a reason to go get a hold of this person. But if you read the paper and you didn't understand something, ask them. Mm -hmm. They'll answer. I kicked myself repeatedly in grad school for spending the better part of a day in a book, could not figure out how they get from step A to step B in this equation could not figure it out finally gave up talked to other people nobody else could figure it out emailed the author they said oh yeah that was a misprint <laughs> and sent you the errata sheet so you never had that problem again oh this one wasn't even on the errata sheet i found <sighs> a new one <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah still like email people if you've got a question or even if you just say, hey, you know, email your state geological survey. Yeah. I'm looking for some data to play with. Can you point me to where the Aeromag data for our state is and maybe somewhere interesting to look? That's a great one to start with, too, because they're running a ton of Aeromag surveys. The USGS has a ton of money to do specifically that. And they would love to know that there are people using it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. That is absolutely true. And this is all stuff, you know, I wish I had done more of, but also, you know, learning's a lifelong thing. So you can always pick up these sort of tips and tricks along the way. And to go with what you just said, read stuff. That's also a good way 
it seems counterintuitive, but this definitely works for me. When I feel like I'm getting burned out and really like fed up with stuff and whatever, I go read fun stuff that has to do with geology, like Scientific American articles and stuff like that. And that gets me reinvigorated too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I heard the statistic recently of how few people actually finish a single book after they graduate high school. Oh, I don't even want to hear this. It, I don't remember what it was. It was, it was a scary number. Oh my gosh. Oh, but yeah, go read things. Mm -hmm. Just all the things, whether it's human or AI generated, it's fine. It doesn't matter. Read the things. And then if you read stuff, then maybe you find like links to cool YouTube or anything like that. And so you can just get even more excited about science by taking in all these other different types of scientific media, podcasts, and whatever. But I've definitely gotten real excited watching some YouTube videos this evening. And that brings us to everybody's favorite segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday. Yay! (laughs) This was a very old suggestion, I believe, from listener Ben... Oh, awesome. That's a 2019 paper entitled Linking Plasma Formation in Grapes to Microwave Resonances of Aqueous Dimers. (laughs) That sounds not as exciting as the videos that are linked in this paper. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I will say this paper was not written in a way to get people excited. Oh, no, but it's a really cool thing. And what you can do instead of reading this paper, the TLDR, is... Well, no, go read it first. Yeah, yeah, and then... that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's right. <laughs> um, you can go to Veritasium. It's like a YouTube Veritasium, I guess. I didn't take Latin. Um, it's this nerdy, sciencey YouTube channel with a billion subscribers. And one of the first videos they did was microwaving grapes to create plasma. And then this paper came out eight years later, I think they said, about microwaving grapes and creating plasma. And so they interviewed the authors of the paper on there. And also more videos of microwaving grapes. (laughs) Yeah, and if you don't know what this is, it's you take a grape and you can cut it and leave the two halves attached by a piece of the skin and stick it in the microwave and you get this little fireball where the skin is. Yeah, but it turns out you don't even have to do that. You can just stick them next to each other and you can also get fireballs as well. Right, so if we start decoding the sciences, aqueous, water, dimer, two bodies, we know what resonance is. Mm-hmm. Microwaves. We know what a microwave is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so we start getting the idea that these bodies are going to resonate at some fraction of the microwave wavelength of your microwave unit, and that is going to concentrate microwave energy to the point where you generate enough heat to get a plasma. Yeah, and so essentially because grapes are mostly water, right, um, and some ions, because of that property, right, they, 
get the microwaves in them and refract them a whole bunch and create these super hot plasma interactions between them. What is cool and reflects the newness of this paper is that if you have ch children <laughs> or watch YouTube children-related videos, <laughs> there are those Orbeez, which are those gross, weird little balls of plastic, and then you set them in water and they turn into these gooey balls of plastic. And so not only do they do this with grapes, they do this with Orbeez, but they don't use that brand name. Of course, they called them um, hydrogel beads. <laughs> So right. you can explode some Orbeez, and those do some really cool stuff with their resonances as well. Well, and this was, you know, the kind of the classic case of, okay, it does it with grapes. Does it do it with something else? Like, is there something special about grapes? Let's first attack that part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Okay, is it the shape? Is it the composition? Is it the size? They just really start deconstructing it piece by piece and find out that, yeah, size has something to do with it, but it's not that sensitive, and it doesn't really have a lot to do with the shape and it definitely has nothing to do with it being a grape it has everything to do with there being these two bodies with the narrow joint right that are filled with mostly water that are that are liquid mm -hmm. yeah yeah um which i guess i probably would have guessed but of course a guess is just a guess until you test it <laughs> which is funny it's kind of what they say is like Everyone knows this. I love it. <laughs> the first sentence of the paper. It's a truth universally acknowledged that a pair of grape hemispheres exposed to intense microbe radiation will spark. <laughs> Is that universal right. knowledge? I don't think I knew that before this. <laughs> um, I'm surprised <laughs> with, with kids of your kid's age that they did not see this on YouTube and immediately go do it in your microwave. Oh, I know. Um, I will say my, if my six-year-old sees this paper up, she will 100% put the grapes in our refrigerator in the microwave. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she'll be all over this. So I luckily got rid of what I hope were the last of the Orbeez a while ago. <laughs> Those things are disgusting. If you have a long-haired cat, especially having a, moist hydrogel ball fall on the floor is the grossest thing that can happen. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I digress. <laughs> well, and, you know, when we were talking about this paper before, I said it has all your favorite words in it. You know, moist. <laughs> and then you said, uh, what was it, skin bridge? Skin bridge. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, so, such gratuitous use of the word moist skin bridge. <laughs> Not even in a medical paper. <laughs> right. But no, so they, they not only attacked this, another thing I liked about it was they not only attacked it from the experimental standpoint, they attacked it from a let's do a finite element model in COMSOL <laughs> on this. And then also they did a wonderfully simple test that I think. Some of the more classic science folks would be happy with. The thermal paper? Of the thermal paper, yeah. They folded up a piece of thermal paper and put it between them and microwaved it. We're like, hey, where the thermal paper turns dark, it got hot. Now we have a map. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of cool. <laughs> it's beautifully simple. Mm -hmm. Yep. I know. I kept trying to think. It's a 15. Um, 
the the little piece of paper is folded 15 times in between it. I'm like, is there, is that just the size you folded it to? Is there something, why 15? <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's just a simple experiment, right? And so, there right. you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah. No, I thought this was an excellent little paper and uh, found some interesting things. The future applications left me a little wanting. So this is where the YouTube video actually is a lot better in the future applications um, because they're interviewing the authors of the paper. He talks in greater detail about the usage of this technology in relation to um, like doing something to do with he did it really well but i listened to it like hours ago so that's why i don't, <laughs> I well, don't you know in the paper they it. say it's likely to open experimental opportunities for modeling nanophotonic resonance phenomena um with applications to omnidirectional wireless antenna super resolution microwave excitation and imaging and the invention of microwave pumped dielectric spacer analogs yeah and so that... Which means nothing to me. Correct. And so he talked about using it in terms of um, getting down to, like, nanometer scale resolution on certain applications. And he, he does it very well. Way I'm butchering it, like I said, because it was a while ago. Um, but you should totally check out the microwaving grapes makes plasma from the Veritasium. YouTube, and they do a very good explanation of what it could be used for. I wish they did that in here, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, very interesting. And I know I'm definitely going to microwave grapes now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you microwave grapes and discover your own things with thermal paper or anything else about aqueous dimers, we'd love to hear about it. Shannon, how can folks get a hold of us? Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter X? I don't know. <laughs> at right. Whatever it is now. At Shannon Doolin, at Geo underscore Lehman, and together at Don't Panic Geo. And thank you to our listeners and especially our Patreon supporters. If you would like to continue supporting us, please do. Patreon.com slash Don't Panic Geo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.